Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Edward James Olmos, better known as Admiral Adama, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Welcome, and don't forget, this is the best podcast on the internet. So say we all. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. So say we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 75. Welcome to the diner. My name is Scott Herzog. I'm one of your hosts here tonight. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Miles, it is great to have you at the diner tonight. It's great to be at the diner. Oh, I'll bet, man. You have been putting in some pretty insane hours lately, huh? Uh, work, work is, yeah, work has been a little crazy. Um, it's just trying to get used to third shift and still just doing what you have to do in life. Those, those hours, you know, between eight and five, whatever, you, you try to get stuff done. Yeah, that's when I sleep. So it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's still the, the adjustment process is not over. Right, right. Well, you know, it, it'll come, Miles. It'll come. You know, you know, talking about jobs, I'm a school teacher by trade, uh, and uh, today we were doing an article on paranoia. There was uh, that my kids got an article, and I just got done watching the episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation on the witch hunt that takes place in the Enterprise. And, you know, someone blows up the warp drive, and you know, someone, some Klingon selling secrets to a Romulan, and. And so they're going to witch hunt saying that there's someone else. And uh, the whole idea of that playing into the whole idea of paranoia in our culture I thought was pretty relevant, you know, this many years, 15 years, 20 years after the episode is aired. So, Oh, absolutely. So, it, still, it still rings a chord. I ended up not showing the episode or not showing any clips of it because I just didn't have any dang time. It was just it – was, it, was, it was a really busy day. But I thought about it. I thought about, you know, inundating the my students with Trek. So The fact that you would use – an episode of Star Trek Next Generation, one of your lessons, is is mighty cool. Oh, well, I, I, the closest I got to that today was playing the uh, techno version of the Imperial Death March that you heard on the special episode that we released, uh, I guess, yesterday. But by the time you hear this, it'll be a few days. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's way cool, way cool. Anyways, Miles, how has life been for you in science fiction? It's doing pretty good. I'm enjoying Warehouse 13. That's about the only sci-fi thing I've been watching lately. Uh, also... Uh, been reading some Star Trek novels since I've got my new Kindle. That's been great. I can just download a book. And so I've been reading a bunch of uh, Star Trek novels. They're a little – they're not as pricey when you can buy them online, which is great. No, you don't have to pay for the paper, I guess. For me, uh, in sci-fi, I've been continuing to watch Lost with My Wife. We're in the middle of season three and and people were warning us that season three gets a bit muddied uh, as far as the direction that it goes. And I can tell it is. I mean, I'm into the episode yet, but my wife is like, oh, man, I totally didn't get, didn't get that episode. And that's happened a few times. But people are saying, hey, if you can make it through season three, you'll be fine. So I'm still enjoying Lost, working my way through Next Gen. I'm almost through season four. And so oh. that kind of gives you an idea where I'm at with that. And mm-hmm. and this weekend or Labor Day weekend when I didn't have to you know do a ton of work, 
I, I, I made my way through the latest Terry Brooks novel. Um, I'm a huge Terry Brooks fan, and he came out with the latest in the saga of the Sword of Shannara series. So absolutely loving loving that, and I took a break from my Star Trek reading to read that. I'm actually reading through The Entropy Effect. Um, oh, the, I remember like, that. Yeah, well, that book is taking me so long to get through. It's not. I think it's one of the first books of Pocket Books released, and it's just it's, – it's okay. I want to read it because I want to say I've read it, but it's not my favorite of the books I've read. So. Understood. Yeah. But, hey, that happens. That happens. Miles, let's get into our menu. Let's talk about what, 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 what people are going to be feasting on tonight. We have a phenomenal interview. You want to tell people about it? Uh, we, are, we are bringing you part one of a great interview we had with Edward James Alamos at Shore Leave. We, asked, we had to make it in parts because the man was so generous with his time. He gave us like 45 minutes. Just imagine if you're a, a BSG fan and you get to talk to Edward James Alamos of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, it was, you know, fan, fanboy's dream. It was totally surreal to sit there in that room and just talk to him. That's all I'm going to say right now. Um, we, of course, have listener feedback. We're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, have some good feedback. want to tell you a little bit about what happened to the feed this week. And uh, So that's that piece of news. We'll, we'll give our thoughts on the current season of Warehouse 13. Yeah, we have uh, some Battlestar Galactica trivia bringing up to you. And we have a, well, a pretty good prize, some prize from an author that we interviewed a little bit ago. And this will make Scott happy. Uh, we're, we'll be talking about Felicia Day's Red. Felicia Day. You can't get enough Felicia. No, no. You can never get enough Felicia. Judge Dredd becomes Dread. What's up with The Walking Dead? Yeah, what's up with The Walking Dead? Uh, review. We're going to review the Brown Coats Redemption movie. I'm going to try and do it and not give too many spoilers away to Miles. Uh, the, the Halo movie is still in the works. Uh, they're still trying to get that movie on the ground. And if we have time, we're going to talk about does science really need to be accurate in science fiction? I will give you the twist this week. There's two pieces of news on um, just a retrospective on uh, the, the theme park, the Star Trek the Experience, uh, a special guest on the Big Bang Show. Yep. And we, we wrap up the show with B. Harden giving us his Sci-Fi 5 and 5, Five Ways to End the World. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. oh man, I can't wait to get them. Those are great. You know that that continues to be people's uh, one of some of people's favorite segment of the show. So glad we have that in. Thanks, Alec Fenson, who actually inter- gave us the idea for that. So, guy, give props where props are due. He does a podcast called the New Farce Podcast. So check it out. I think they actually either are or just recently did hit their one hundredth episode. So very cool. So very cool. Very cool milestone in podcasting. Well, let's start out with show news and listener feedback. And I just want to say this. I had some feedback come in. This is kind of – it has to do with the feed. Let me just say this. The feed was down. Some people try downloading the feed Saturday into Sunday, and you could not download the episode. It said it was there, but it would not download uh, for you. It was my fault. But let me explain what happened so I can kind of justify it, all right? Um, I still apologize either way, but it actually got started when I got a some feedback from uh, uh, Reduce, and, and and this is what he said, and he said, "Hi guys, another fun episode with lots of energy seeping through the digital airways. What sets you apart from an, uh, from the other podcasts I regularly listen to uh, is the energy and less sterility. Sometimes it feels like I was sitting there with you chatting away about the exciting stuff, and man, that's what we want." Right, Miles? We want them Absolutely. to be we want them to be here chatting with us. We want them to feel like they're just part of 
we're just hanging out someplace. We're talking about sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. And then he just wanted to have a comment. He had written in before and talked about Big Bang Theory. He said, it's a great show to start watching. It's very light reading. And the episodes are only about 20 minutes. And that's kind of positive. Even though it's not a sci-fi show per se, it still feels like one well worth watching. So he just kind of you know said, hey, continues to plug it. So. And this is the one that actually had to do with the feed. So I'm going to read – he has four points. Let me read um, uh, number four, and then I'll go to number three. Number four said, I love how you segment the podcast with the chapters. It's super easy to skip a promo or just jump right into something I want to listen to first. Please keep doing that. So basically what he's saying, if you're getting this on an MP3 feed, you do not get chapters. But if you actually subscribe or are able to subscribe to what sometimes is, sometimes it's called an enhanced podcast or the uh, – uh, you're able to do video podcasts, not that we do videos. We embed pictures into the show, and it also allows you to skip chapters. And so if you were talking about something you don't care about, you can skip ahead, and you know we're none the wiser, and it benefits you, obviously. Miles, do you ever skip chapters? I mean, No, I, I just listen to the whole thing. Yeah, His number three is what kind of uh, resulted in me going in and messing with the feed and kind of screwing it up. He said, I find the Star Trek music during this week of Star Trek a bit distracting. It sets a mood very well at the beginning, but when somehow, but then it somehow drowns Miles' voice, and you just start having trouble focusing and sometimes understanding what he's saying. I know it's nitpicking, so just something for you to ponder if you care to. Not a biggie at all. And so when I get stuff like that, I love people that give constructive feedback, right? I mean, Miles, this is the only way we grow. Right. And um, I'd actually, when I was putting last week's feed together, especially, I kind of noticed the music over miles. I said, oh, it's not a big deal. And when I listened to it later on, it kind of bugged me, but not enough to go in and change it. And then when I got an email from, from him, I said, okay, I got to go in and change it. I mean, I hadn't really modified. Uh, it was an easy thing to do. I just had dropped the volume level when you were speaking. And so, you know, not a big deal. And I re-uploaded the feed. Thought everything was fine. Didn't realize that when I re-uploaded it, it changed the URL of the file. And even though I had it linked into my show notes and it was linked into iTunes, it uh, iTunes wasn't reading it. People were getting errors all over the place. So I had to go in and change it and then refresh the feed and it was fine. So I'm sorry for those of you that tried downloading it and you know you were unable to get it. It is there now. If you haven't done so, you might have to refresh your iTunes or something like that to, in order to actually access it. But it's there now. Someone else, and I forget who, actually had pointed out that our episode number two wasn't playing either. If you ever come in a, across an episode that you are unable to play, let us know because all our episodes are available for you to listen to. Apologies, apologies, and thank you, Reduce, for pointing that out to us. This is a listener question we gave two weeks ago, and we are now going to discuss some of the answers we got. Okay, well, we asked last week, uh, should the now-defunct TV show Heroes be made into a motion picture? Greg Gunberg thinks there has to be a Heroes movie coming. Uh, so this is what some of you said. Um, Susie the Geek said, my question about a Heroes movie would be, why exactly? Uh, <laughs> I think there's a yeah. lot of people in that boat. Mike asked, maybe an argument you made on terms of economics for the studio, but in, in story terms of total waste of time, there is no resolution for this type of narrative, hence the volumes in this show, which uh, could be concluded. Yeah. So uh, – Miles, and your thoughts on this? I, I agree with the listeners. I, I, I don't see the need to make a, a hero's uh, major motion picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, may, maybe a, maybe something for TV, um, but not. But I don't think it was that good to warrant a, 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 a motion picture. I'm in the same boat. I can't believe they would ever consider making it a motion picture. I mean, I'm, sure. If you want to make a motion picture, they should have done it after season one. 
And right. Not now. It's too late. Let, 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 let the TV show die. Let it die. Yeah, let it die. Well, um, I'm, like I said, I'm really enjoying Warehouse 13. Um, I, I think uh, season two so far it, it has been just just been phenomenal. I mean, I think it's even getting better than season one. And season one was was awesome. So yeah. this is what some people have said. Uh, Jennifer said, "Oh yes, I love Warehouse 13. It's a good show. Love the way uh, Claudia's get gets around. Uh, smart guys. Lots of laughs. Uh, too funny." Duncan said it keeps getting better and better, but you just know HG is up to something. Yeah, HG Wells. Something Artie definitely thinks so in the show. Uh, Radu said, uh, I love Warehouse 13. It's like a crossbreed between the, the uh, Big Bang Theory's uh, humor and Fringe's out there series. Yeah, it's definitely – it has a good balance between humor and definitely a good uh, out there. I believe you, you chimed in saying uh, it absolutely rocks. It's like Doctor Who who with our – without the TARDIS, without the time travel, without the Doctor. OK, it's not the Doctor, but I still like it. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to be a little bit funny there, but no, it's it, it is. It absolutely rocks. I am actually two episodes behind, so I have a little bit to get caught up on. So, but I'm still well, liking it. Without giving a spoiler away, this this week's episode will focus on time travel. Oh yes, and I did hear about Allison. I saw her tweet about the fact that it's a time travel episode. So, and then Mike, of course, said, "What an apple excellent episode! Whoever created and cast Claudia was blessed. She's given the show an edge it was lacking in the first season. Well, she was there the first season, though, so." Yeah, she, I mean, a yeah. couple episodes in, it wasn't that long. No, I mean, so maybe the first episode's more like it. As for HD, well, you cannot trust her one bit, and the show doesn't need a full third-time agent. So, already spot on not to trust her. So, anyways, it was uh, it was some, some good comments, and you guys are obviously liking Warehouse 13, and uh, keep it coming. Let us know what you think of the current episodes. We will happily talk about it. Man, we have some good shows that are going to be starting up. I can't wait till Fringe starts up and some other shows that we're looking forward to in a few weeks. A few weeks. They're going to come. Yeah, I haven't got it yet, but uh, the new TV guide, uh, I think, is going to be highlighting a lot of the fall sci-fi shows. It has a nice cover of uh, Tom Welling uh, for Smallville. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They believe, they kind of give a lot of spoilers, my understanding, in season 10. So, But well worth picking up if you're into that. Th- thank you so much for kind of contributing and discussing things on Facebook and uh, – and emailing us with questions and your thoughts on the episodes and things we're talking about. Please let us know. Continue to let us know. Join the Facebook fan page if you haven't. That's where a lot of our discussions happening. And email us, sci-fi-diner-podcast-gmail.com if you have any questions or thoughts on the things that we talk about in tonight's show. So, Miles, why don't you take us into this week's trivia? Since we're uh, going to be giving you a part one of uh, our interview with Mr. Alamos, we thought we'd keep it uh, BSG relevant. So the question this week is, what was Laura Roslin's position in the government before she became president? Right. And we have a prize. We're giving away two books in that, that really aren't related to Battlestar. We often try to relate our prizes to the question, but we have two books we actually want to give away, and we don't often give away books. But this is a book from the author David J. Williams. If you're into some really hard science fiction, this is some great stuff. Um, this is the first two books of the Autumn Rain Trilogy. It's The Mirrored Heavens and the Burning Skies. And we interviewed him um, a little bit back, I believe in this episode, somewhere, somewhere in the 60s, the early 60s we interviewed him. Make sure you check out that episode. But this is definitely – these are two books that are well worth winning and checking out. So I have them here. They're sitting right at my desk. They're waiting to go to someone who can prove that they know this question. Yes, we had a great interview with the author, yeah. uh, if you want to get more background. And yeah. uh, the, the website he has for his books is fantastic. Oh, man, where he's – you know, we, we 
a couple of the authors that we've interviewed have had really good websites, and uh, he's one of them. He gave a lot of good background information, some good videos, some great trailers. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find a little bit about him, you can actually check out the trailers for him on his website. And I wish I had the website here. And uh, oh, it is actually autumnrain two thousand one hundred ten dot com. So you can check it out there and check out some of the trailers and stuff for that for these books. Um, by the way, you can send your answers to this trivia to the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can call us at one 888 Send an MP3 to us and, uh, and you can also DM us on Twitter. And so please uh, do one of those things to get a hold of us. Please do not post your answers on Facebook or just reply in Twitter because that obviously shares the answer to everyone. Let's get into our first promo of the night. And why don't you introduce the Gamma Quadrant podcast? Okay, uh, I, the Gamma Quadrant podcast is something that I subscribe to on iTunes. Uh, three friends that get together and uh, just uh, do their own review of uh, each episode of uh, Star Trek D Space Nine. They're up to uh, season three right now. They'll be wrapping that up real soon. But they talk about everything. They talk about um, the acting, the writing, uh, special effects, even the costumes. But it's, uh, it's in, if, you, if you enjoy Star Trek D Space Nine, you'll enjoy their review of uh, that episode. Yeah. So very cool. So here is the Gamma Quadrant Podcast. Ever feel like it is hard to make friends with people from other planets? Tired of other races in the Gamma Quadrant pushing you around? The universe is a dangerous place. The Dominion can help. We offer mediation, protection, Ketracel White provided to every new recruit. Contact us via the iTunes store under the Gamma Quadrant, and one of our Vortas will be happy to send you an application. The Gamma Quadrant is the podcast dedicated to all things Deep Space Nine. Look for us at gammaquadrant.libsyn.com, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N, or under Gamma Quadrant at the iTunes store. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Make sure you do get a chance. If you do get a chance, check out the Gamma Quadrant. But we have some great news to bring you tonight, some good TV news and some movie news before we get into our awesome interview with Edward. So, Miles, why don't you start off by talking about TV news? I put this in TV news, even though technically it could probably be in movie news because it's related to TV. Take it away. Give us our first piece of news here. And I'm excited about this, by the way. Yeah, I am too. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to see all of it because my work schedule is last weekend, but I'll have to just get the DVD uh, like everybody else will. But uh, Brown Coats Redemption, we first found out about this uh, during Farpoint this year. A uh, group of Brown Coats had an idea to uh, make an independent fan film, to sell the DVDs, and use all those proceeds to uh, benefit uh, Joss Whedon's uh, favorite charities. Uh, what I saw of it, I, I liked a lot. Uh, I'll just have to get the DVD to watch the rest of it. But. Um, uh, I was very excited when I heard they were doing a um, a, a Firefly uh, slash Serenity fan film. Yeah, and I think the thing that makes this fan film monumental, I mean, we have tons of Star Treks, tons of Star Wars fan films. We even have a couple Lord of the Rings fan films. But, well, we, we've never had a Firefly fan film. And this is the first one. I think there are two others supposedly in the works. But this is the first one to get off the ground and actually, you know, get out there to the masses. Right. So, yeah, so Brown Coat's Redemption, you know, the name of the movie, what a what a neat project. 
Now, Miles, you saw the first 10 minutes. Tell me about your impression just off the first 10 minutes of it. It, it was kind of felt familiar. I mean, I remember our, our you know our heroes going to a, like a Western type bar, trying to get, you know, arrange business. And so the characters in the story were doing the same thing that kind of a similar background as, uh, you know, Mal, Jane and, and, and Zoe in some respects. So, so that, that felt good. I mean, it felt, it felt familiar, but obviously these were, these are new characters with a new, you know, you know, different backgrounds. So, so we had that nice familiarity about it. And, it's definitely a tie-in between that and and the events that would happen after the Serenity movie because they they showed that government official um, uh, talking about the talking about you know what was going on and stuff. So um, I, I almost risk giving a spoiler, but I don't want to do that. But uh, no, and, and, and by the way, just to clarify, this was streamed live from Dragon Con, and then they had the video via Vimeo, I believe it was, for about two days after. They streamed it live. So you, if you didn't catch it this weekend, the only way you're going to be able to catch it is to support the Brown Coast Redemption and, I guess, purchase a DVD, although it's really giving a donation to the charity. And that's really the way you should think of it is you're giving a donation to help out many of the good charities that, they, that a lot of the Firefly people themselves support. And so if you want to, you can go to Brown Coast Redemption. Just type it into a Google search. I don't have the URL. I'll put it in the show notes. But you can check it out, and they will actually – it will point you to the charities, and you can get a hold of the DVD and watch it yourself. Let me give you a little bit about my impression. I did watch the entire thing because, you, know, you know, it's Firefly. I wanted to watch it. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about, I guess, five different areas. The story, the effects, the cameos, the acting, and the pacing. Um, we have to be careful with the cameos because I don't want to give anything away to you, Miles. But, <laughs> but so, yeah. So this is a story. The story, right? Set in the Western town, these this what Scarab class ship with his crew. I believe Lara is the name of the main character. Is that right? I want to say it's Lara. I'm gonna call I, her. I, Lara. Uh, I should have it in front of me, and I don't. But you know, so Lara, you know, the captain, you know, she runs this smaller ship. The Scarab class is a little bit smaller. And she hires this new pilot. And I love the new pilot that they hire. It's a really sassy little girl. And uh, there's rumors that she's supposed to be like an ex-companion or, or something like that. I don't know. But uh, And there's history anyways. And uh, there is a neat twist between Lara and the Alliance. And that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to give it away to you, Miles. And it was one of the things when it happened, I suspected it at the very beginning. And it was confirmed later on in the uh, – in the story. So that's all I'm going to give. Um, but it's a story of them trying to do an honest job and kind of getting burned in the process and being set up. And, and there's a huge fight scene. And it's really good. It's a really good story overall. I thought the effects are well done. I don't know if, how far you watched into the movie or if you saw any of the special effects that uh, Michael Strzok from the OFX did. But these were effects on par with the TV show. Like when the when the Scarab class ship would fire, it would be it looked just like Serenity. And so some of the space effects were done just beautifully. And did you see any of that, Miles? I, all, all I saw was some of the trailers off of YouTube oh, yeah. uh, of some, some of that. And, and it, it looked impressive from there. Yeah, yeah. And there were cameos, and I can't give you, but there are, I will say this, there are three cameos from, there are three cameos. I can't say more. I don't want to no, run it for you. You're killing me. I am. I am. And, I, and it's killing me not to tell you, man. But there are three cameos, and that's all I'm going to say. The acting, I thought the acting was pretty good. I think sometimes I felt that the pacing was a bit slow. 
And so I don't know if this is because you know Michael Doherty is a you know kind of a new filmmaker or if it's just the way it felt to me. But I felt like the pacing was a bit slow. And then the the fight scene, I felt like you know when you see a fight scene, Miles, you want to see someone look like they're really getting socked. And I felt like it was kind of you know how when people kind of play like they're hitting each other but they aren't really. It felt like sure. that at points. So that was probably some of my only two complaints. It's the pacing and the fight scene seemed a bit surreal for me. Mm. But, but I, I do have this comment from Radu who said, for a fan film, it is very bold and nicely done. I can't believe the fans were able to finish such a monumental project. Story-wise, didn't grab my attention much. But once again, I congratulate all the people who involved. Kapla. So, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, that was kind of his take on it. Yeah, I'll, I'm just going to have to get the DVD. Did you order it yet? Uh, no, not yet, but I'm, I, I will shortly. You will. Right now, we're going to stop the podcast. <laughs> you go order it, Miles. All right? Go order it right now. Support them. But I didn't order it yet either, but uh, I'll just get it and burn yours. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But I, I want to <laughs> support. want to support them. It's, it's for a good cause. It is great. Uh, some other t- in our other TV news, we had Walking Dead was rumored to get a season two. And this was interesting because Walking Dead is not aired yet. And so when this came across Twitter and came across the news feeds, we're like, wow, season one isn't aired. Uh, we had a bunch of discussion on Facebook. You know, people were saying, you know, how does that happen? You know, I guess you have faith in the production, you know. Uh, and then, then, then be hard and said this. I heard from the Barry McCritters. Barry McCritters. He's going to kill me. I heard from Barry McCreary's Twitter, and he writes the music and wrote the score for BSG and Sarah Connor Chronicles. That second season confirmation was just a rumor. Here's an article on it. So I have a link to that. I actually did a little bit of research beyond that just to say, okay, what's going on here? Apparently, it was a rumor started on Twitter or on some blog or from maybe the cast itself. I'm not sure. But the update is that AMC has contacted IGN explaining that they wanted to dispel the rumor that The Walking Dead has been renewed for season two, as that is not yet the case. So zombie fans, you got to keep your fingers crossed. So it's not quite a done deal for season two, but there's a lot of hype around this. It wouldn't surprise me if they get a season two. Even if the, if it's not confirmed against season two, this this is great publicity for the show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that people are talking about it, hey, season two, you know, whether or not it's true, people are going to tune and say if they're renewing it for second season, season they're going to get more viewers. Very, very likely. Well, let's move into some movie news here. Miles, why did you take the first bit? Man, I wish I had this one, but go ahead. Yeah, I bet you do. I'm oh, Felicia's Day sci-fi movie. I'm bitter. Go ahead. October 30th. Sorry, go ahead. Repeat that. I just kind of spoke over you. Uh, Felicia's Day's uh, sci-fi movie Red will air October 30th. Hey, wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. Can, can you say that again? I just want to hear you, hear you say that again. <laughs> Felicia Day's sci-fi movie Red will appear uh, October 30th. Ah, oh, uh, yes. Go ahead. So sci-fi will get a little red during its upcoming 31 Days of Halloween event. This weekend's bookings have confirmed that uh, Felicia Day, a telefilm now monikered uh, Red the Werewolf Hunter, will premiere Saturday, October 30th at 9 Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Uh, Kevin Smith and Stephen uh, McCaddy co-star the project about a descendant of Little Red Riding Hood who brings her fiancé home to meet her family and tell him about the family business. They are werewolf hunters. Man, they aren't even trying to hide the Buffy connection there. Notice it? No, there's no pretense at all. No, no. Red, the werewolf hunter. I mean, come on. You know, Buffy, the vampire slayer. I mean, the connection is 
obviously too close to have them just doing it. It was better when it was just red. Do you know why I think maybe they titled it Red the Werewolf Hunter? Because in October, another movie titled Red with Bruce Willis is coming out. That could be, yeah. And I think maybe, I wonder if there's uh, they're concerned about confusion. Yeah, that'll help distinguish their project from the other one. Yeah, yeah. But see, now what this means is I have to go and actually watch a sci-fi original film. It pains you to do so, doesn't it? It does. Well, you know, I just don't watch many sci-fi original movies because typically they are not that great. Every once in a while, but every yeah, there's no pretense that some of the movies they make are just just bad. Oh <laughs> yeah, they're definitely belonging the B reel of something, but. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move into some other news. The renamed uh, Dread wants to lure you in with a new title and dark story. We talked just a few weeks ago about how Carl Urban wanted to reboot the Judge Dread franchise, and we have a new title for it. So what could be an attempt to distance a new Judge Dread film from the 1995 Sylvester Stallone version, something producers and everyone else have been trying really hard to do since the beginning of this project? The movie's name has been shortened to simply Dread. I love that. I love just that one-word title and the word dread. That's a great title. Right, and I think that uh, Carl Urban is in it. Is, that'll, you know, nothing against Sylvester Stallone, but um, I think uh, having him in this film and, and as the, uh, the character um, will, will definitely distinguish it, and I think, you know, that, that'll, that'll get viewers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. According to I Am Global, who's currently selling the new movie at the Toronto International Film Festival, said, Dread takes us to the wild streets of Omega City One, the lone oasis of a quasi-civilization in the cursed earth. Judge Dread, Carl Urban, is most feared elite street judges with the power to enforce the law, sentence offenders to execute them on the spot if necessary. The, end- the endlessly inventive mind of writer Alex Garland and the frenetic vision of director Pete Travis bring Dread to life as a futuristic neo-noir uh, action film that returns to the celebrated character to the dark, visceral incarnation from John Wagner and Carlos and Carlos Exequas. I'm probably botching that name. Revered comic strip, um, as well as the title as the Carl Urban in the title role. Dread will also star Olivia Th- uh, Thirlby from Juno. Uh, never saw that movie. Probably never will. Uh, who has been cast as Cassandra Anderson, a character who has a psychic powers that include being able to see approaching danger, foresee events of a near future, and telepathy. You can read all about the character here. No, no, you can mind read it. Just kidding. Uh, one of the other, uh, no other cast has been announced yet. Pre-production on the movie apparently began August 23rd at Cape Town Film Studios in South Africa, and the movie will arrive in theaters 2012. So we have a little bit to go, two years to go in that movie. So, so, so right now, Dread is Carl Orban and a hot new title, a futuristic neo-noir story that goes back to the roots of the comic book with a previous somewhat gross promise from Carl Orban that the movie won't make us puke in our popcorn. We like this. I guess he didn't like the uh, the last Judge Dredd film either. No, no, no. There's a lot of people. I know, I know that you're kind of ambivalent about it. You said, ah, it was a good watch. But I think there's a, the, the, the general feel is that it was not maybe as good as it could have been. I have never watched Judge Dredd, so I can't even make a judgment on that. I should see if I can download it on Netflix and watch it. Well, I, I don't know. This sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. If Carl Urban's in it, I'm going to watch it. I like Carl Urban. Me Carl too. Urban, if I can speak here tonight. Yeah, so eh, it's, it's good. We're looking forward to it. It's unfortunate that we have to wait so long. but Oh, yeah. Well, Microsoft is still interested in a Halo movie. Microsoft has admitted that they are still interested in making a movie out of their Halo video game series. Frank O'Connor, the franchise development director at Microsoft's uh, 
342 industries told Variety that the company wants to make a feature that is a standalone story and not a verbatim retelling of the game. We're still interested in making an excellent Halo movie. We're, we've we've uh, created an awful lot of documentation materials to support a feature film, he says. We have a good idea of what kind of story we want to tell, but, but won't move on until there's a great reason to do it. We're in no particular hurry. Microsoft also hasn't ruled out the possibility of bringing Halo to TV. A Halo movie led by uh, uh, Peter Jackson and uh, Neil uh, Blomkamp uh, got close production in 2006 but collapsed due to a spiraling budget. Yeah, so – and we heard about this. We talked about a Halo movie back in the day, right? Do you remember? Yeah, I think – Go ahead. I think – I thought there was a CGI – Maybe straight to DVD Halo movie out now. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, man. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. Not that I know of. There was a trailer that came out that I know uh, featured Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin, but I don't think that was a movie. I thought it was just a trailer for OT OTSD or ODSD or something like that. I forget the name of it. But it was it was just a trailer for the video game. So, so I, my understanding is I don't think there was a movie yet. But I also heard rumors that District 9 was supposed to be kind of like the spinoff that fell through. So I, I don't know. But, hey, we get a Halo movie. It's sure to do well. Halo is still a popular game among my students. And there's enough people that played it that when they when they release it, it's going to be like the Doom movie. No matter how good it is, people are going to go see it. Oh, absolutely. So that's, that's my thought on it. Well, one other piece of news before we get into this week of Star Trek. And this actually comes from an article – uh, a guy that reviewed five big-budget sci-fi films that were actually got their science right. But I'm not going to read the article. If you want to read the article, we'll put it in our show notes. But this really brought up a question, and someone made the comment uh, on, I guess it was blaster.com, uh, and he said this about it. He goes, anytime I read an article like this that talks about science being accurate in sci-fi, it makes me want to hunt the author down and punch him square in the nose. How's that? Science fiction is science fiction. Emphasis on the fiction. I do really enjoy learning real scientific facts, but not when I go to see a fictional movie for the purpose of entertainment. If someone wants to make a science fact movie, fine. Just leave the fictional movies alone when you do. And some guy named Ethan said that. So I don't know. What do you think of this, Miles? How much, how much scientific accuracy do you need in a science fiction movie? That's a hard one. I mean um – we go see a science fiction movie. We, we almost we want to be entertained, and so we don't always. Our brains are always thinking about what's going on. But I gotta admit, I do like it sometimes when they do try to be a little more scientifically accurate. I mean, I'm thinking of just watching Firefly when you just see the um, the, the the ship flying around. It's quiet because there's no sound in space. And so, when, when, sometimes when they make an effort to be a little more scientifically accurate. I kind of like that, but you can't always be that way. You have to you have to tell a story, right? So it it, it, it all depends. I, I don't I don't hedge everything on it, but when it happens, I like it though. Yeah, and to to me, I'm you know if stuff's a little bit far fetched, come on, all you have to do is look at Star Trek, right? You love Star Trek, I like Star Trek. There's plenty of times where stuff that they did was not grounded in scientific fact, you know. Well, very much so, yeah. And so, and yet, they told a good story. They have a great following, and ultimately, when you have science fiction fact versus other, you know, one has to win out over the other. You know, and and I think that the story is more important here. In my true. opinion, 
in my opinion. And this is actually a question that I want to pose to you guys listening here. You know, how important is science fact in science fiction? And so that's maybe that should be a listener question this week. You know, how much how important is it? We'll consider that a listener question and we'll post that. How important is science fact in science fiction? I think it's a good question, Miles. I think it's a great question. Yeah. Well, Miles, why don't you take us into the twist? This week in Star Trek. Well, I was looking at my my friend Chris's uh, site, Subspace Comms, and uh, he had a chance to, ch- to uh, experience this. I never did. I wish I did. But um, so he, he had uh, <coughs> kind of paid homage to the Star the, the Star Trek experience, the uh, theme park that was out in Las Vegas uh, two years ago today. The, the Trek community lost a dear friend, Star Trek The Experience. As many of you have probably read before, we had the pleasure of visiting Star Trek The Experience twice during its run. Both times we uh, unequivocally felt like we, we, we were among home and among family and friends. Unfortunately, on September 1st, uh, 2008, Star Trek The Experience closed its doors for the last time. And we're here to mark the two-year anniversary of our dearly departed uh, friend. And um, I encourage you to go to his website, he has a nice uh, – it's a long video. It's about almost 40 minutes long of um, the, the last day of uh, the, the place was in operation. But you get to see um, a lot of the uh, actors that are there at the experience get ready, get in costume, the closing ceremonies of it. So uh, I, I really wish I, I would have had a chance to uh, visit that place um, before it closed down. I'm hoping someday maybe they'll they'll build a new one. Yeah, that's always our hopes. That's our hopes. We had a couple people on Twitter kind of respond. Jen said that she had gone there like 10 times. Hey, you can shuttle some of those times over here. But 10 times, every time she went to Vegas, and she's kind of disappointed it's not going to be there anymore. And mm-hmm. she hopes as well they build something like it. And and B. Harden said he'd never gone, but it has to be hard for them to lose such an amazing, unique job. So, and, it, and he says this, and I think this is true. If they would have hung around to the new movie... I don't know if the new movie was even in the works when they closed down. What would have been if it was two years ago? Yeah, I mean, there was talk of the new movie back then. Yeah, so, oh, there was because we had that one uh, clip of Jared Formby in the one episode talking about the new movie. Sure. Wow. You would think they would have uh, made some money on it, but maybe it just needed an update and refreshing and they didn't want to put the money into it. I don't know. Mm. Uh, But we have another piece of uh, Star Trek news. So, Miles, why don't you take us into that? Well, fans of the Big Bang Theory, uh, George Takei is going to appear on an episode, as well as uh, Katie Sackhoff. And uh, I saw the clip with Katie Sackhoff, uh, and it's very funny. I'm going to have to finally watch this show. Even though I'm a couple seasons behind, I'm going to maybe just just start watching it from uh, this season and then get get the DVDs later. Right, right. Now, uh, could you send me that link to that clip? I'll, I'll embed it in the show notes then. Sure. Yeah, so, wow. So, uh, George Takei, and also Will Wheaton is going to be in, it looks like. Mm-hmm. He's been on there before, but but we have some news, and you'll be able to check that out. Anything else you want to say about that, or is that? I, I think I think that's enough. Yeah. Uh, that's enough. Okay, great. Well, uh, we have some. We'll have, we'll have the uh, more of that news in our show notes. So if you want to check it out, just visit Sci Fi Diner Podcast at gmail dot uh, yeah, gmail. If you want to check it out, check out the Sci Fi Diner Podcast dot com. Well, Miles, thank you so much for giving us this week of Star Trek. Before we go into our awesome interview with Edward, so that Battlestar reference with Katie Sackhoff is appropriate, uh, we want to give you, we want to share a promo for the Leviathan Chronicles. If you have not done so yet, I would encourage you 
to take a chance and listen to Leviathan Chronicles. The entire first book is out. We're going to start really, I guess, the second season coming up in January. So you have plenty of time. If you start now, you'll have plenty of time to get through all 25, 26 hours of this of, of this of this um, audio experience. And that's really what it is. What a great what a great show. Oh, I love Leviathan Chronicles um, and, and part two, I guess, will be coming out released sometime later this year, I think. Um, yeah, I, think, I thought Jan- I thought January, but that's I don't know. Who knows? But later this year, later, later on. So mm-hmm. up and coming. And so you can get prepared for it by listening to Leviathan Chronicles. We'll be deploying at over 70,000 feet. The suits will supply us with oxygen and maintain our body temperature. Air is almost non-existent at this altitude, and the negative pressure would literally boil your blood. I'm scared, Sentient. I'm scared too, friend. Distance to target, 11,000 meters. All right, then. Here we go, Nathaniel. Ready? Jump. The wait is finally over. Leviathan City exists at over 35,000 feet under the ocean. Tell me what is hidden here, Evangeline. The pieces are in place. It is the sanctuary for a group of immortals that have existed there for the last thousand years. I regret that I have kept certain aspects of our mortal existence secret. And soon, that which is hidden. That is, until one group decided to leave paradise and live amongst humanity will now be revealed it's now or never and one secret black door is the only thing that stands in the way of the genocide of the human race will ignite a war (laughs) that will span the globe what are those things black door knows we're in tibet And not everyone. Please, Talia. We'll get out alive. I'm so sorry, McCallum. Fire again. Fire everything. I have wanted to do this for over a millennia. Why would Evangeline want an army? I fear something very sinister is hovering around Leviathan. It's time to get ready for war. On May 26th. Chapter 25, the season finale of The Leviathan Chronicles will drop. Go to iTunes or www.leviathanchronicles.com to listen to current episodes and get ready for the biggest chapter in the Leviathan saga. I want to live. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, we have a fantastic guest to share with our listeners tonight. Uh, we do. Uh, we have an award-winning uh, actor. Too, too many to name, but just safe to assume um, we're talking with a, um, a man who, who has done it all. Was on the uh, epic Battlestar Galactica as the, the Admiral himself, Adama. If you're a fan of the show or a fan of any of his other work, um, you will enjoy this interview. We, Scott and I had the pleasure and the privilege um, to be invited in uh, Mr. Alamos's uh, a hotel suite a- after uh, after he was done speaking with with guests, signing autographs. Uh, he put in a full day, and but he he was gracious enough to um, give us a 45 minute uh, interview, yeah. uh, which we only. Had- Twenty. We only asked for twenty. I was going to say about that. And, you know, he is such an icon when it comes to sci-fi. He was gaffed in Blade Runner. Talk about an iconic movie. 
Blade Runner. Battlestar Galactica probably hails being one of the best series of you know the two thousands so far. And you know what? And obviously, if you're into Miami Vice, he was you know in Miami Vice as well. But known really well for his roles, his iconic roles in science fiction. Well, and, it should be noted also he was um, he was up for the role of uh, of uh, Captain Picard for uh, Star Trek: Next Generation. But, that uh, he- that's right. That's right. And not only that, but he he's in the what is it? The Green Hornet. Is that right? He's in yes, the, and that, uh, that movie looks good. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's coming out January 2010. Be looking for the Green Hornet. But well, anyways, uh, that's good enough. You'll hear him talk about uh, all that stuff in our interview. So right now, we're going to bring you Edward James Olmos from Battlestar Galactica in our interview with him at Shore Leave 32. No one should feel obligated to join this mission in any way. This is a decision I have made for myself. If it turns out that there are not enough personnel to crew Galactica... I will lead a raptor assault with anyone who is willing to join me. Let there be no illusions. This is likely to be a one-way trip. So don't volunteer out of sentiment or emotion. There is a line running down this deck. to the starboard side everyone else to the port Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes into your mind when you hear great movies like Blade Runner, Selena, Hollywood Confidential, or great TV shows such as Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, and one of my favorites, Battlestar Galactica, I'll just name a few. Well, what should come to your mind is not only an award-winning actor, but a director, producer, activist, and all-around gentleman, the Admiral himself, Mr. Edward James Alamos. Mr. Alamos, welcome and thank you for taking time to speak with us on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you. We're certainly delighted to talk to you. I got some questions from one of our friends on Twitter. I um, uh, want to ask you, um, uh, how did you land a role uh, of, uh, I it was Gaffed at Blade Runner? Um, I was doing a play on Broadway at the time called uh, Zoot Suit. And um, one of the producers, Katie Haber, uh, had seen me perform and, and told Ridley about me. And so, um, really uh, called me in, and they offered me the role. Great. Um, now, last year, Khan, who's another one of our, our friends on Twitter, you had alluded that there's a connection between Gaft uh, and Adama. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, if one sees the entire show of uh, Battlestar from the beginning to the end, 
and you get to the very end, last moment. Mm-hmm. The show brings you from a period that you don't really know you're in until, bingo, you find out in the very last sequence that you're 200,000 years ago before humankind the way we know today, right this second, because right. it ended in 2008. Mm-hmm. And that's what the show brings us up to mm-hmm. present day. And if you, if you take it there, you'll see uh, six and Baltar walking down Times Square. Right. And uh, Six says to Baltar, you know, this has happened before, it's going to happen again. And uh, Baltar says, well, maybe this time we've learned. Mm-hmm. You know. And then the show goes to black, and that was the end of the show. And if you get Blade Runner mm-hmm. right there and you put it in, that starts in 2019, mm-hmm. just 11 years later. And you see how much we've learned. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you notice that Gaff is a direct descendant Dama, same mm-hmm. genetic structure. They even look alike so in some ways. It's, it's amazing. It is. <laughs> it's uncanny. Yeah. Except uh, that the guy's a lot younger than Dama. Right, right, right. Still, it's kind of like, you kind of feel like maybe it was a younger Dama. Mm-hmm. It's been a few years. I'll have to pop in Blade Runner again. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy it. I, I will. I Especially will. If, you, if you're really into Battlestar. Because when you're into Battlestar all the way and you feel that world come alive to you, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you jump into you know, mm-hmm. this world here that we live in right this second. Yeah. Only in the future. And just like, boom, you see what happens. Right. Well, it's amazing how well it's stuck together. It was uncanny. Well, I don't think that Ron Moore had any idea that it was going to connect in such a profound way mm-hmm. when he cast me in the role. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was leading in that. I don't think uh, that any of them really thought about connection between Battlestar and Blade Runner even though Battlestar had some images that would immediately remember Blade Runner and say wow I remember that um, slow turning cylindrical fans and moments movements of that kind you know the beautiful virtuous Six coming down the walkway of the opening segment. Oh, just yeah. bingo, you just immediately think of Blade Runner. So you have that that world that no one had ever stepped into. Uh, Battlestar stepped into it from the very beginning mm-hmm. and just walked through that door, kept on going. That was one of the things that uh, Ron Moore and I and David Ike uh, and uh, Michael Bryan discussed immediately. Hmm. I told him that I really wanted to go into that world because mm-hmm. nobody had ever gone into it. I said, you know, why not us? You know, mm-hmm. Just to get the edge. And so we did. And that's what ended up happening. We connected and profoundly. Uh, people a hundred years from today will understand it better than they do right now. Interesting. Right now, you know, oh, the guy says, that, you know, it connects. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's how I dig it. But, Inevitably, my work is going to be looked at in a body of work. And people will not look at it in perspective of somebody saying to them, they should see all of this and get to that. They will have been into this world, and they will see that world, and they'll put it together themselves because the same actor, all of a sudden, you just put it in as if it's part of the show. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, this is what happened. So you see that Adama takes off, and his genetic structure continues. And sure. Bingo, and you're 
200,000 years later, Adama is Gaff, the cop, the Blade Runner. Right? The only Blade Runner in the movie. I'm going to have to watch Blade Runner again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's so happy you did. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, a lot of what you're saying here, there's a lot of social commentary in Battlestar. One of the things that we've, that I know I've appreciated about Battlestar, and I know when we talked to Richard Hatch, that one of the best things about Battlestar is that he comments on society, talks about it, but doesn't necessarily say you have to believe this. It opens it up to explore the questions and explore the possibilities, but not necessarily give you a right or wrong answer. And I think so that makes some of the best sci-fi. I mean, you're challenged to think for yourself. I think so. I think it does. And uh, as long as you don't indicate or, you know, make people you know, manipulate them so that they all feel the same thing. Right. You know, yeah. You know, you're allowing people to have their own objective feel about what they, they're doing here. And that's what happened in the show. I said it today in the panel, on the panels that we had. Um, and uh, I said that the audience had a profound effect on this show, like no other show in the history of television had ever had. Meaning that because the advent of the internet, the advent of Twittering, of blogging, the advent of uh, Facebook, you know, what happened was that the show's writers would write the show. Then the production crew would get the script, which was already at one very high level, and augment it to another level by putting wardrobe into it, putting sound into it, putting the acting into it, putting the camera work, you know, the directorial uh, you know, understanding of the script and brought it to life, and it augmented it, brought it to a higher level. Then we passed all of that on to the post-production, and post-production then added all of their uh, special effects, all of the music, all of the scoring, all of the, the sound, you know, all of sound effects, and, and, and uh, uh, editing, and just elevated it to a much higher level than even the production could ever have imagined. Mm -hmm. Then they put it on the air. And the moment that someone saw it in whatever regions of the planet, somebody, it was passed over television to them, they immediately downloaded it. They immediately put it on the internet and they sent it out. So people who saw it for the first time, say, in, you know, uh, a part of the United States, maybe who got it before another part of the United States, or maybe in, in the case of the very first uh, season, England got it first. They used to get it uh, a couple of days before we did in the United States. And so they got it. And as soon as they got it, somebody put it on the internet. So people here were watching it almost simultaneously. It was uncanny. Mm -hmm. if, if you were really into computers and you knew how to make it work for you, you were getting it almost to the moment mm -hmm. because somebody was downloading it right at that moment and feeding it. And so therefore it was, you know, the moment that it finished, somebody was, was watching it already and getting close to the end in some other part of the world. Then the blogging started, and people started to talk about what it meant to them. Mm -hmm. Not what, it, what the writer was trying to say, but what the show meant to them. And they took it to a really a much further they saw into this, oh my God, the combinations of ideas that came out of the audience was unprecedented. Oh, this means this, and this means that, and oh, no, 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 because if you remember back, that oh, this is much more in the case of this is happening. And right. pretty soon, 
the writers were on their blogging with them saying, well, in some context, I never wrote it in that manner, but I can see what you mean. So all of a sudden, the show got augmented to even a higher level. Then the writers went back and started writing for the next shows from that level. Not from the level they started writing the show originally, mm-hmm. but the augmented level that had gone on, including the blogging and the constructive uh, creative criticism done by everyone that was watching it on the planet. I'm not talking about just one segment or one group. I'm talking about people, some people who had never watched sci-fi got involved. And they would blog, and they found the blogs. And people talking to, you know, Bear McCreary about the music and made him, made Bear understand better his music. And the writers understood their writing even better. So all of a sudden, this became a very hands-on, interactive piece of work that we've never had before. The fans invested themselves into it. And and we took them on on the legit. We, We turned around and the writers said, yes, you're right. And they wrote from there. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, yes, you're right, and then, well, that doesn't matter. That's not my idea, so I'm going to only go with my ideas. No, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. They did what really secure, creative people do. Somebody says, uh, you know, one, two, three, and the creative mind goes uh, four, five, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And somebody goes nine, ten. And the other one goes 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're to 16, where you would have never got the 16. It was just if those two elements had not been put there, so that's what happened. I remember Rolling Stone calling Battlestar Galactica the most intelligent show on television. <laughs> I remember that. I remember Time Magazine. They sat and went, the world started. Mm-hmm. Critics adored the, the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really found a voice that was speaking clearly to issues of terrorism, to issues of abortion. Mm-hmm. to issues of, uh, you know, suicide bombings. Mm-hmm. By the time you were done, you were thoroughly confused as to what... You understood why suicide bombers do what they did. You could sympathize with them. Not sympathize. You understood. Uh-huh. Didn't mean you were sympathetic mm-hmm. to right. them, but you understood why they were doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I don't like a suicide bomber, no matter if it's for the right reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's just not my way of understanding this kind of life that we need. It's too mm-hmm. short. So basically, it's it's been a, a very very difficult journey for humankind. I mean, Roslyn, you know, everybody hates uh, you know this conflict that we have between right to life and right to choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it causes so it's like a right to bear arms. Right. You know, it's very polarizing. Very very polarizing, and it's very very difficult, complex issue. Mm-hmm. Immigration. Very complex issue. Mm-hmm. Some people try to make it very cut and dry, very simple. Yeah. But when you really get down to it, there's so, so complex the issues that we can't answer them. You know, some people say I can answer it, and okay, that's how you feel. Got it. But guess what? There are people who don't feel like you feel. So mm-hmm. guess what? It's now become very complex. And therefore, you have your way of thinking, looking at it, and that person has their way of thinking about it. And then, how are you going to resolve the issue? And most of the time, you resolve it with violence. And mm. that's the problem. That's why we were invited to the UN. I know, I was going to ask you. They're reconciliation, the Tory people. They, they reconcile. They, they want to be able to get the Jew and the Palestinian to sit down and talk. Yeah. They want, you know, the, you know, the Taliban and, and the everybody else, the Christians, to sit down and talk. But it's 
freaking impossible. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very difficult competition. It's, it's ambitious chore. Yeah, so that's what we do, took on. And, and we didn't answer anything. All we did was hold a mirror up to the society that was watching the piece and they had to deal with it themselves. But it made the people who were very, very honestly confused or had a strong sense of balance completely flip because the Cylons had the one God. Mm. Yeah. Not the yeah. humanity. Yeah. Okay, bingo, right there. You say, what? Oh, yeah, that's what? Wait a minute. You know, they were, you know... <laughs> well, another thing I appreciate about Battlestar Galactica, as opposed to a lot of other sci-fi shows, was spirituality. Was, oh, man. I mean, it wasn't the same Baltar which way. Baltar was hated, but then you started to realize what Baltar was saying was what Christians have been saying since the beginning of Christianity. Right. Then you started to say, this, oh, shit, wait a minute. Is this guy the, the devil? Is mm-hmm. this guy, you know, the, the bad guy who's talking, you know, through both sides of his mouth? Or was he really believing in what he was saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really confused the complexity of faith. Yeah, and and it wasn't like you were given an answer to this. All right. You know, you had to deal with Baltar every week to try to figure out if he was legit or not, if he really meant what he was saying, or if he didn't. And if you didn't hold on to your head, you'd get you'd you'd pull up the wrong conclusion. Right. I mean, at the end, when they go walking through it, and and the whole situation of this reoccurring dream. Of the in the opera house mm-hmm. comes to play, and it comes to play in the middle of the opera house, which is happens to be, you know, the uh, main control center of the Battlestar Galactica. Right, what's going on? But if I remember, I, I listened to Ron Moore's uh, his commentary on the, mm-hmm. his podcast, and he said it was just serendipitous that it just kind of worked out. Though. I think the whole show was serendipitous. Uh-huh. I think it was like the happiest thing that ever happened to everybody that watched it and everybody that dove into it mm-hmm. on all levels. You asked the camera department. Mm-hmm. You asked the wardrobe department. You asked uh, post-production. You ask, you know, uh, the actors. You mm-hmm. ask, you know, sci-fi, the channel that created, helped create it. You know, they'll tell you flat out. You know, this was one of the most extraordinary experiences we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Some of it didn't like it at all, didn't like the experience, but they couldn't renege the fact that something happened that has never happened before. Mm-hmm. Whether you liked it or you didn't, you had to hold on to your hat. This was really a monumental way of getting together with a whole lot of different people and creating something that really will last the test of time. Long after, you know, The Wire has been played, and long after, you know, 24 has been played, long after, you know, uh, Deadwood and, and all the great lost, all the great shows that we've had, mm-hmm. 100 years from today, um, people will look at this piece of work and find something resoundingly, you know, human that just allows you to say to yourself, wow, people were really confused. Boy, oh boy, you know, they were really doing that. Mm-hmm. That that society was doing that. I mean, don't forget, we're, this was all post-9-11. Uh, yeah. So the mental thought of everybody on the planet has changed. So, so all of a sudden, we're like, wait a minute. Right. So, uh, you know, all I can say is that I, I'm proud to be part of it. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner. 
We hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Edward James Olmos. Edward James Olmos. I want to say Alamos every time, but it's Olmos. Edward James Olmos. Be looking forward to part two coming down the pike next week. Well, Miles, we got to get out of here and wrap up the show. We do. Let, but before we do that, let's go ahead and bring us another listener, Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And this this is from B. Harden, who you hear talk, hears talk about sometimes in the show. And he submitted his Sci-Fi Diner, what he called the yeah, Sci-Fi Diner. He submitted the five top ways for the world to end as we know it, according to Sci-Fi Post-Apocalypse Masterpieces. So he's not just saying, here are five ways we can end the world. He's saying, here are five ways, we, the top five ways we can end the world, according to the Sci-Fi Post-Apocalypse Masterpieces. So this is kind of cool, Miles. Oh, this is a great list. I love the fact that we can dis- that we can destroy the world again. <laughs> it always makes for good storytelling. It is, and it's great. It's great. Well, uh, why don't you start off with number five, Miles? Natural turned unnatural disasters, as seen in 2012, the happening day after tomorrow. Admittedly, I hate all three of these movies, but the concepts were interesting. Okay, so the uh, the natural turned to unnatural disaster. So the way the world the world kind of turns against us, I guess. Is that kind of what he's saying here? I think that's what he's saying, yeah. Hey, it, it works. Uh, number four is attack. So, the, I, oh, I guess it's like, so na- the, the nature, now this is attack. As seen in Battlestar Galactica, Cylons invade and destroy. Only a few escape and survive. And for now, the twist. The creations become the destroyers of the creators. So that's kind of interesting, the idea that our creation turns against us. Uh, we've seen that with um, the Terminator movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's another one. We didn't even put that in there. That could also fit into the whole attack, attack genre. Number three, Miles? Zombies. Oh, yeah, zombies. I've seen in Dawn of the Dead, virus that turns people into mindless brain eaters, teetering sci-fi and horror. Zombies are hot right now. I mean, we're, we're going to get a TV show about them real soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, I guess the second one kind of plays into this, but number three again with zombies that plays into you know the Walking Dead, right? Mm-hmm. That, that we have coming out in TV, so that'll also work. Uh, number two is Rage Virus, as seen in Twenty Eight Days Later and Twenty Eight Weeks Later. The only thing more terrifying than zombies are zombies that can run. That's right, because most lomb- zombies lurch. So I guess this virus turns people into zombies. I think that's the premise of it. I've never seen Twenty Eight Days Later. Have you seen that? I can't say I have. No. And number one is question marks. A scene in The Road, the fact that the author of The Road left the reason of the apocalypse out of the story really assisted in making it the story so complex in its simplicity. It was clear that this was a story about a father and son, not the world, hum- humanity, not entire mankind. And I guess it's, it's, story, it's like the fact that we retain our humanity after the destruction of the world. Maybe it's a little bit more about it. I'd put the book of Eli in here maybe. The fact that here's life after the apocalypse. I think the others are kind of, you know, the destruction of the world. But here the world has kind of been destroyed and it's our – it's what happens after. Is that the way you kind of interpret it? Yeah. I, 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 the, the idea in the road from what I got you saying is it's more important about the characters and how they react and, um, you know, take care of each other. Yeah. In the midst more of all this. More of a character-driven story. I, I like this. Thanks, B. Harden, for sending this in. And, Miles, I'm sorry I stole that last one from you. I'll kill you later. Yeah, yeah. I'll kill you. i kill you. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I think these are some great ways to kill the world. So, is there, Are there any other ways to kill the world? Probably not too many. Alien, no, I think, alien invasion, maybe. No, I think, I think he, he, 
he covered the gambit here. Yeah, absolutely. I think it works. Well, Bihar, and thank you so much for sending us in your Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And if any of you other listeners out there want to share your Sci-Fi 5 and 5, we'll be happy to read them on the show or listen to you share them in an audio clip that you email us to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at gmail.com. You can also call it into one 888 You know, share that and listen to that and hear what you have to say about your Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And it can be about anything. You know, this was Disasters, and uh, that was one we haven't had. And you can even do one that you've had to share your own version of your top movies or top TV shows of all time, and we'll be happy to play it. Well, Miles, we got to wrap up the show. Uh, let's talk uh, Twitter. Where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am Son of Worf at Twitter. Uh, also, uh, I have a, a Trekspace account. I am Son of Worf at Trekspace. Yeah, and you can find out more about us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast uh, dot com and by the way my Twitter since I forgot to say it to you is Herzog H E R T Z O G also the Sci Fi Diner we of course have our Facebook fan page so it's Facebook dot com backslash Sci Fi Diner and that'll get you there and you can join the community that is conversing about the news and some of the things we're discussing in the Sci Fi world it's a great place to interact with other people and kind of harass Matt. <laughs> and, it's, and it's Star Wars, but uh, it's, it's it's a good place to do that. And uh, anything I'm missing here, Miles? I think you covered it. Yeah, you can uh, give us your iTunes reviews, give us your feedback. Uh, you know, I want to thank Reduz, 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 Reduz um, for actually giving us so his feedback because you know your feedback makes us a better show. Anything you want to hear more of, anything you don't care about, let us know. I'm inviting a lot of hate mail, Miles. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, if you want to send hate mail, it's miles at sci-fi diner podcast.com. It'll, it'll get and, to him. And I will forward it to, uh, forward to you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, miles, let's wrap up the show. Well, folks till then, good night and good luck. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>